Hello, and welcome back to another FACT podcast. I'm Dr. Fred Clary, founder of Functional Analysis Chiropractic Technique, a chiropractic technique based on movement and breathing. Well, in today's uh, quick little Monday morning podcast, I got here today and flipped open the, the laptop, and I was going to go into some social issues, some COVID issues, but I thought I would cover something instead on health that I realized that no one, really no one knows much about. And that includes MDs who are too busy filling out paperwork, HMO paperwork and insurance paperwork to treat your boil. Now, please hear me. I'm not slamming our uh, our medical physician friends here, but it's just fact. Um, a lot of times what you learn in school, you study it, and even if you prescribe it and use it all the time, you get caught on working only with the tail end of the uh, standard deviation or bell curve, the bell curve. What does that mean? Well, MDs work with the weakest and sickest of the lot. They don't get a lot of people that go once a year for their physical checkups that are doing ha- doing well, healthy athletes. And I'm talking more like GP, internist, endocrinologists. I'm not talking about orthopedic surgeons who get to treat the best of the best physically. I'm not talking about those people. And orthopedic surgeons don't prescribe thyroid or thyroid replacement or testosterone replacement or estrogen replacement or usually antibiotics for infections that are systematic. You know, they're controlling joints and that kind of thing and replacing joints and treating those kind of injuries. So the interesting thing is the healthiest and the best and the strongest um, usually don't go to GPs or internists to have their health looked at because they're healthy. So we really don't get a good full standard deviation, one, two, three standard deviations, a full bell curve when you talk to an MD. And you throw an MD into the mix for 10, 20, 30, 40 years, and they've been working to everything to the left of the uh, bell curve. And that's not a political statement. It just, it's the tail end. It's the weakest of the weakest, the sickest of the sickest, you know, the first rung of the ladder of humanity. And we need all of them. I'm just, just making a statement, you know. If you get a cold or a flu um, every year and you're on three or four medications, you're not the healthiest of us, you know, of the human race. And if that's all the MD sees over and over again, through thalamic filtering, that's the, uh, the midbrain structure that filters all information coming in, and the dorsal medial lobe in that MD's brain, they're going to filter and only see people with sicker and sicker and sicker. So over 20 or 30 years, guess what? You know, if you're, if you're a carpenter, everything looks like a nail. If you're a plumber, you know, you need a wrench and everything's a pipe. So you filter and filter and filter, and pretty soon you've never seen the top of humanity. You've never seen people heal from cancer. You've never seen somebody with a severe flu only have it for 48 hours. You've never seen somebody with a severe cold or COVID recover in less than 24 hours. You've never seen that because they wouldn't come into you because they're healthy. So your vision is skewed. 
it's like when I go into the gym and I was talking to some new lifter. He wants to compete or whatever, and he thought he was doing pretty good, you know, benching 300, weighing 220 pounds. You know, young kid, young kid, no injuries, no nothing, like still in college. And, you know, I'm talking to him, and he's like, oh, my goodness, you know, your, your team has world champions, yes. And talking to him a little bit, I said my first meet was 1981, and I go, that's probably your, your parents were probably still in elementary school. Um, you know, or, or, you know, junior high, um, you know, when I was competing and we were talking a little bit and it was interesting cause he goes, well, you know, yeah, what did you do back then? And I was one of the first teenagers ever to pull 800 pounds. I think my world record still stands at 782. I think I weighed 256 when I did it at the teenage nationals, 1987. And he's like, What? I had no idea. I said, like, oh, yeah, we have people on this team that benched seven. The, the guy who started benched eight. Um, Scott Mendelson, who used to be, you know, honorary part of the tent team, is the strongest bench presser in the world or was. You know, he, he did 1,000 pounds in a shirt and 700, you know, uh, raw. And we were talking about that stuff, and I said, like, well, that's who we are. And he, he was just blown away because he had no idea because his filtering mechanism was off. All he could see was average you know, 300, 200 pound bench presses being a big deal, you know, 500 pound squats is being a big deal. You know, that, that filtering, that bias is heavy. Well, could you imagine, let's move that out of powerlifting and weightlifting and move that into health. If you've never seen someone take on a strong disease and kick its butt because you're an MD who sees the weakest of the weakest and the lowest of the lowest most of the time, well, guess what? You know, that's all you see. I mean, you're the janitors of humanity. You know, you're the custodians of humanity cleaning up the gunk on the floor and the bubble gum underneath the chairs. Now, we need those engineers, but and we need people who clean up after us. My God, please. But that's not all of humanity. Some people actually take care of themselves. So that viewpoint is something very important to understand. And let's move it on to insulin. Insulin. What is that? Insulin is the most anabolic hormone we have. Anabolic means growth. Anabolic, yes. So it's not anabolic steroids like some of you uh, lifters are listening to and athletes. It's more anabolic than all that. It's more anabolic than growth hormone. It's quicker acting within minutes. And uh, it shuttles not only glucose, and that's the one you all know about and learned in school. It, it not only shuttles blood sugar into cells, all cells except the brain. It shuttles, you know, glucose in, but it also shuttles fatty acids and, ready for this, proteins, amino acids into muscle cells. Yeah, it makes muscles bigger, just not by putting sugar in, but also it'll move fat into fat cells and it'll move... Um, amino acids into muscle cells and make them bigger and help them recover. That's something that's usually not talked about because we're so focused on, you know, people who have dysfunctional insulin and we call that diabetes. And diabetes is so prevalent. You know, diabetes type 2 from being overweight and overburdening your pancreas, which produces the insulin. That's the organ on your left that produces the, uh, the insulin. 
and uh, type 1, that's someone born either with a dysfunctional pancreas or the receptors, the lock and key mechanism where insulin locks onto your cell, is bad on your cells. And you can develop um, type 1 um, diabetes later in life where your immune system starts attacking your own pancreas or your receptors or both. We're still trying to understand it all. So, so what does this all mean? What does insulin mean? Well, the reason for many, many healthcare-related problems like strokes, like heart attacks, you know, like obesity, ha- comes down to insulin. Understanding this hormone, understanding this protein is very important. But yet when I ask someone about it, like, oh, that's for diabetes and you need to take a shot. No, your insulin is working all the time. You make your own. You don't need a shot. You don't need a special pill. And it it reacts to um, sugars taken in, carbohydrates, specifically when it's broken down to simple sugars and it hits your bloodstream. When your, your bloodstream is full of sugar, your blood glucose rises too high, your pancreas releases insulin. Insulin comes around and assists sugars to shuttle into the cell. Okay, very simple ex- explanation. What we have to understand is having too high insulin all the time. In other words, if you're eating sugary things all the time and constantly releasing insulin, that's not the way we were designed. Actually, we were designed to have maybe, uh, you know, one big meal a day and to be snacking the rest of the day. That's the way cavemen would have done it, you know, a little bit here, a little bit there until you could stop running away from the saber-toothed tiger and gnaw on, you know, a hunk of flesh which, of course, was more mainly protein and fat, not a lot of sugar. So we evolved, ready for this, mainly being on a fat, ready, and protein diet. Then comes the Industrial Revolution and modern um, agriculture, and we started adding more carbohydrates, which was great. More people lived. Um, there's more food available, more kilocalories or calories available. Um, for eating. So there's my society comment, evolutionary comment. But our pancreas didn't change over time. The people who actually survived and we passed on are people that have an overreactive pancreas because guess what? Most of us can't handle all that sugar all the time. Sugar, sugar, sugar. You have to understand that insulin was never supposed to be floating around in your system all day. It's not what it was designed to do. It was designed for maybe once or twice, maybe three or four times, but not all day, to be bouncing that, shuttling that glucose into your cells. Insulin's a huge molecule. I think it's like 600 dimers. Um, It's uh, 51 amino acids. There's two chains um, put together by sulfur bonds, sulfur-containing amino acids, like I think cysteine. You don't need to know the chemistry. What you do need to know is how complex it is to make. And because it's a very big molecule, very big protein, very big hormone, they, it takes a lot of effort to make. And if you're constantly making this stuff, it doesn't, get, it doesn't get reused. There's no recycling. 
if you're constantly making this stuff, you can wear out the pancreas. I mean, that molecule is so big. Um, 600 dimers is, 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 is huge. Um, it's actually the biggest hormone. So you have this piece of protein basically floating around, and you have to continually make those. If your, if your um, receptors on the outside of your cells become dysfunctional because insulin's always high, and like everything else, like any other hormone, testosterone, estrogen, whatever, if it's at a high level, your cells are self-protecting, self-regulating. They are going to, what, down-regulate and, sh- and bring those receptors off the surface. That's why you develop a tolerance, say, to alcohol or drugs, street drugs, or any drug, actually, is because when it's floating around too much, the cells say, screw you, and actually, t- they don't lock the door, the receptor being the door. They actually take the freaking door off and put a wall up. Get it? They put a wall up. There's no door there. There's no exit or entrance. It's gone. So that down-regulation of the receptors is very important. That's why when someone's like hooked on heroin and say they did, I don't know, half a spoon twice a day, three times a day, a certain amount that they knew before they went into rehab, they go into rehab for 90 days, haven't had any, they get out, they want to get high, they go back to trying to use the same amount they used before they went in, and they die from an overdose. Why? Because in those 90 days, their down-regulated receptors start coming back to the surface. They start getting healthy again. And, of course, the same amount is 10 times what they need it, and they die. So the same thing happens with insulin. Over time, if that insulin's floating around a lot, you're going to down-regulate those receptors. The receptors become dysfunctional. They have a lot of names for that syndrome. X, um, uh, you know, all kinds of pre-diabetes. I've heard everything. And it, that doesn't really matter. What matters to me is you've got dysfunctional receptors. And you can think you're perfectly healthy and have dysfunctional insulin receptors. What does all that mean? All it means is you have to control your blood glucose levels. You don't want them spiking too high. That means, it doesn't mean you can't have ice cream. It doesn't mean you can't go ahead and have candy. Yes, that's what I'm saying. But you have to make sure you have protein in your system or a fat to blunt the sugar release, okay? The whole idea of not raising your blood sugar too high, whatever meal you have, and you need a complex meal. This is why these keto or carnival diets work so well because you're not jumping up your insulin levels. So if you're just eating fats and protein, oh my goodness, of course your pancreas is going to get a break and your receptors are going to go to the surface. So when you do eat carbohydrates, they're going to be utilized more properly, especially if it's a lower amount. So you get more bang for your buck. You don't have to go so extreme. You just have to look at the glycemic index and eat low glycemic foods. You can still have sweet foods. What's the glycemic index? The glycemic index is just basically um, a listing of foods and how it affects the human body. Like wood, you know, wood or cardboard is fiber to us. It is a carbohydrate, but to a termite, you know, it's actually, they can convert it to glucose. We can't, okay? Okay because of the way we're designed. So certain foods 
hit our bloodstream, the sugars get digested and broken down at certain levels. So like a banana is very high on the glycemic index. It's like pure sugar. That the banana will be broken down into glucose into your bloodstream very fast. Um, a white russet potato from Idaho, very high. Even though it's a complex carbohydrate, that means long changes of sugars linked together. Complex carbohydrate means long chains of sugars linked together. It's broken down very quickly by as a human, as a human. Um, a sweet potato is a little slower. That's why you see bodybuilders and athletes eat sweet potatoes versus white potatoes because the sugar hits you slower. It takes a lot. It takes a little more. I think they're like 60 or 70 on the glycemic index. It, and you, you want things like 100, 110s like table sugar. So that's your top end number. I don't know why they just didn't, didn't make it 100%. But, you know, that's humans for you trying to complicate things. So you want to keep things in the 80s, in the 70s, in the 60s, in the 50s, in the 40s. You know, get there are sweet fruits out there because of the design, the type of uh, uh, monosaccharides and disaccharides, simple sugars in them, that they're broken down a little slower. So for me, I'd rather have a sweet potato versus a white potato because it's going to take longer to break down in my system. And I still get that sweet taste in my mouth. Does that make sense? Um, an apple. An apple is broken down slower than a banana. Okay? So that's something to think about. And also, <clears throat> for all your smoothie people, when you mechanically chop up a fruit or some, or even a vegetable, you raise its glycemic index. You make it closer to sugar because you're doing what your body does. You're digesting it. You're mechanically breaking it down, breaking those molecular bonds. Okay? Why is that important? Well, then your insulin's going to be released. The reason people who do the smoothie and all the juice drinking, they're choosing instead of a Pop-Tart and a cup of coffee, they're having something healthier with vitamins, minerals, and maybe even some protein in it. So they're at, And some fiber. So they're getting some healthier foods. The reason they love it and they feel better is not because their insulin is spiking. It's because, guess what? Da -da -da -da, they're actually eating a little better, higher quality food. Well, start eating higher quality food and lower glycemic index food to save your insulin. What can happen if your insulin stays high? <clears throat> if you're, you know, you're diabetic, your number and your fasting blood sugar in the morning should be like 90, okay? I've seen people with 150, 200, 300, they're all diabetic. Eventually, you will glue down your retina, you'll go blind. You will glue down nerves, you'll get pain and numbness and weakness everywhere. And you can have a stroke, heart disease, you start having um, cholesterol just pack onto your arterial walls. That's right. Insulin control, keeping it low, keeping your blood sugar steady and low, actually prevents, you know, cholesterol plaques from gluing to your vessels. So if you really want to prevent heart disease, yeah, you can go all run you want. Jim Fix, Fix did it. Well, he had a, a special condition, but he died. And I just saw a commercial on a guy on TV who was this healthcare expert until he had a heart attack. And I'm watching him make a smoothie. And I'm like, of course, buddy, you had smoothies all the time. You might as well drink chocolate milk and Hershey bars. It's about insulin control. 
keeping that powerful hormone only used when it's necessary and keeping the levels low. You know, no one would think of taking prednisone all day long, different type of hormone, or anabolic steroids all the time. You have heart disease. Imagine that. If you take prednisone all the time, you get heart disease, cardiovascular disease. Imagine that. Same thing happens if you get, have insulin released all the time. Powerful hormone. Shuttles fats. Shuttles proteins. Right? And shuttles sugar. You, it, you have to be careful of keeping that high. And eventually, if that stays high... You downregulate the receptor, so you need more insulin, more insulin, more insulin, and your blood sugar level starts rising even though you're releasing more insulin from your pancreas. Releasing more insulin from your pancreas, the sugar starts rising. Your cells downregulate the receptors. Remember, if the receptors aren't there, it doesn't matter how much insulin or sugar is there. It's not going in. If there's no door, you can't go into the house. Okay? So if the doors are gone... And you have a house with no doors. You don't get in. You don't get in through the windows. You're stuck. And this is why people are getting sick in America. That's why obesity is so high. It's about controlling that insulin. It's about controlling it and keeping it at a normal, useful level. Keep your sugars low. Eat protein at every meal. That will slow it down. Throw some fat in because fat's really hard to digest. Some guacamole, some olive oil. Make sure that's in almost every meal or at least a couple times a day. Slow down. Get yourself an app on your, your fancy phone or on the computer or buy a book. They actually have books on these. And look for all your foods and make sure it lists the glycemic index. Get a book that lists the glycemic index. Calories are important, yes. Protein content's important, yes. But make sure you're eating low glycemic index foods. That will help your health and keep your insulin low. You will feel better, you will be stronger, and you'll have less cardiovascular disease. You will be, you're, actually, you have less nerve pain. When your insulin level's high and your sugar level's high and you've downregulated a lot of things, you know, sugar goes anywhere. You glue up nerves. So all of a sudden, what used to hurt you before doesn't. You'll be super sensitized to pain. Your pain tolerance is lower when your sugar levels are high. You also can't think right either. You'll be dumber, make poorer decisions. Man, look at our political situation. You would think everyone, oh, yeah. America is stuck on fast food and high sugar and we're obese. And look how we're thinking politically, intellectually. You don't think that's linked? If you don't, you haven't been paying attention. There are some people that are awake. All our trends, social trends, start with the individual. And it starts with controlling your blood sugar and your insulin. I'm not saying don't have a donut. Eat the damn donut. But make sure there's four eggs in your system, whole eggs with the yolks, and maybe a glass of whole milk, unpasteurized, in your gut before you down that donut. You'll find out you're already full, and you only want half of it anyway. Got to control that sugar level. Got to control it. If you don't know how, go to someone, get a, go to an endocrinologist, even get your GP, get your fasting 
blood sugar taken every year, every couple years to monitor it. You can get your own sugar meters now at the drugstore. They're cheap. It'd be good that you monitor it every month. Just, hey, let's see how I'm doing in the morning. Get up in the morning, click, you do it, and you're like, whoa, I'm 100, I'm 110. I'm getting pre-diabetic. I'm a little high. I better go see my doctor. Or control your damn mouth. Instead of putting pie in your pie hole. Ready for this? Eh, put a sweet potato and a chicken breast. If, you, if that sounds, oh, that's not fun, then learn how to cook low glycemic index foods. Or have your slice of pie. After you've had your steak, your sweet potato, your salad, and some shrimp. Then try to put pie in there. You'll find out you won't be able to eat as much. And the pie doesn't taste as good. Remember, that satisfaction from eating the sugars, that comes from your brain. Some people don't like chocolate and it tastes horrible. I know those are weird people. But it is between our ears. Controlling your insulin is a choice. And it's the best choice you ever make in your lifetime. And this has been another fact podcast.